looking out the window right now, watching all this snow. Looking good, looking great, looking fresh air. Yeah, I want to thank my people for coming in and chiming in on me and listening to me while I sit here and marinate on my thoughts. Maybe some of y'all can help me with my thoughts. Give me your opinion, what you think about it, how you feel. All you got to do is just come on in and holler at me and let me know. So, you know, I got a lot of information I like to know. I'm not here to start nothing. I'm not here to begin nothing. And I ain't even here for no drama. I'm just here to learn. Just here to learn. And just here to learn. But I want to thank all y'all for coming in. Y'all take care and have a blessed day. And peace. Human Rights Watch says Meta has silenced posts in support of Palestine on Instagram and Facebook. It says the suppression is systemic and global, amounting to what seems to be the largest wave of censorship of content about Palestine to date. The rights group reviewed 1,050 cases of online censorship from more than 60 countries. They were largely in English. Nearly all of them featured peaceful content in support of Palestine. The organization says that in more than 300 cases, users were unable to appeal Meta's removal of content or accounts effectively. It's identified six patterns of censorship, content removal, suspension or permanent disabling of accounts, and restrictions on liking, commenting, sharing, or reposting. It's also found restrictions on tagging or following other accounts, limited use of certain meta features, and shadow banning users. That means a significant drop in the visibility of their posts, stories, and accounts. Free Palestine, no one's free until Palestine is free. What's happening right now in Gaza could not happen without the United States. The United States is the primary funder of this genocide. They are the primary armors. They provide most uh, of the weapons. One study showed that since 1950, the United States has provided over 80% of all of the weaponry that Israel uses. Uh, the United States just sent more weapons yesterday. It was released. So while the United States sometimes brags that they've sent some aid, for those of us that are from the United States, that aid means nothing. If you're still sending the bombs, it doesn't matter that you sent food or water. If you sent the aid that caused people to need the food or water, it's even deeper than that. The United States is not just funding it, is not just arming Israel. 
The United States is defending Israel at every step. Uh, Joe Biden, the American president, literally has said on multiple occasions, this was a quote, that there's no red line, that there's no line Israel could cross for him. So while sometimes you'll hear the U.S. say they want Israel to follow international law, when you say there's no red line, that means international laws don't matter. So without the United States, I don't think this ever would have happened. Israel knows that the United States government has its back. I'm inspired that millions of people in the United States, myself included, we don't approve, we're disgusted, we're marching, we're demonstrating, we're organizing, in part because we want people around the world to know that this government doesn't speak for us, that you know, I have to wake up every day and know that my tax dollars are funding something that I'm disgusted by. Not only that, the United States on multiple occasions has vetoed important resolutions in the UN. This morning at our opening session here at the Doha Forum, the Secretary General of the UN expressed his own frustration that he did something he had never done before. He filed really an emergency motion to confront Israel and the violence against Gazans before the UN Security Council. It was 13 votes for a ceasefire, and the United States was the lone vote against, and they vetoed it. Uh, people that might not understand, there are five nations that have permanent veto power, and the United States is basically holding the UN hostage. We believe the United States is committing war crimes with Israel. If Israel's committing war crimes, the U.S. is as well. So, and these are legal definitions. When we say that this is genocide, that's, that's not just an emotional statement we're making. Genocide is a actual thing. There's a legal definition for it. This meets that definition. I don't think that we can count on the United States government to do anything about this. It's going to require other governments to intervene, including governments in the region. I'm not saying that governments here need to intervene militarily. Maybe, if that's an option, if that's a decision they need to make. But there are many ways that they could respond by maybe blocking their airspace. Uh, one option might be to close the Suez Canal. I mean, there are many different ways that you could say, listen, as long as you are doing these crimes against Palestinians, here is how we will respond as nations in the region. And this is happening now in Gaza? And they yeah. use the excuses of narratives of Hamas operatives. This is deplorable. I will not stand up and listen to this propaganda. And as a medical community, we will not continue to listen to these lies and accusations. When in fact, and frankly, the BBC, when they talk about Hamas-led Ministry of Health, Hamas-led, why don't you call it the Tory government, the Tory government-led NHS? Why do you need to specify this narrative? Why okay, Dr. Dr. Omar Abdel Aman, and we're, we're going to have to leave it there. We, it is a, obviously a very uh, heated argument on both sides. And uh, of course, you talk about the Israeli propaganda in your words, but uh, information very much part of this war uh, as much. Well, not as much, but very much part of a war as well uh, that uh, intensifies. Thank you very much for your perspective. And Did I hear you correctly saying that the atrocities that we are speaking about, the beheading of children, that those are fake news, that it's not true. Is that the position of the South African government? I want to ask you now. Yeah. No, it is evidence that has been provided by a range of non-governmental organizations, both in Israel and Palestine, because we don't only speak to Palestinians. 
we speak to peace-loving Israelis as well. And we know that there's a lot of fake news that attempts to cast Palestinians in a bad light. And it has been admitted, even from the White House spokesperson, that that statement that was made at the highest level was actually proven not to be factual. The facts are the people of Palestine are denied the right to exist as human beings. They are denied the right to enjoy the freedoms and the rights we so love as South Africans. President Obama's speech and you said, you know, that Pakistan is the new target. However, he's saying that Pakistan and the United States have to have this important partnership. Um, what's going on there then? The goal, once again, is to destroy Pakistan as an energy corridor between Iraq, Iran, other countries in the Middle East that produce oil and China, because that's where a pipeline could go. The pipeline could start in Iraq, it could go to Iran, it can go up through Pakistan, cross the Himalayas above Kashmir, go into China. This would be oil going towards China and Chinese economic influence coming into the Middle East and essentially cutting out the Anglo-Americans. And how is that going to happen, the, dis the destruction of Pakistan? The, the idea is to provoke a civil war. In other words, take the existing civil war inside Afghanistan and massively export it. The U.S. would possibly consider a direct attack on Pakistan, but they can't because Pakistan is too big and it has nuclear weapons. So there's nuclear deterrence. The only way to do it is to take the Pashtun population in Afghanistan and Pakistan, rile them up into uh, an independence movement, do the same thing with the people in Baluchistan, and with that you've, begun, you've carved uh, Afghanistan, you've broken Pakistan into four pieces or three, mm -hmm. and you've even started to carve Iran because those Baluchis are a peripheral group of the Iranians. So See, fam. You see all the things that are going on that we're not digesting and should be aware of and be having our antennas up. But the news ain't telling us this. They sitting down here giving y'all the same song and y'all doing the same thing, thinking everything going to be punky door. Now, on this thing right here, I want y'all to listen to all these people that this guy is calling out, they're supposed to be the ISH people, right? Or something working with the ISH. But I think they're the ISH people. So if these are all the ISH people and they got position in the government, let's analyze. The administration is the same. This is Joe Biden's Jewish minion. This is the faces of shame. Secretary of the Treasury Janet Yellen, Attorney General Merrick Garland, Secretary of Homeland Security Alejandro Mayorkas, Director of National Intelligence Avril Haines, White House Chief of Staff Ron Klain, Secretary of State Antony Blinken, Deputy Secretary of State Wendy Sherman, Secretary of State for Political Affairs Victoria Nuland, Office of Science and Technology Policy Eric Lander, Director of the Central Intelligence Agency David S. Cohen. There you have it. What are the chances that less than 2% of the population would occupy all of 10 of the most important positions in the administration? Since Jews are dual nationals, ask yourself, where do loyalties lay? Why do Jews control our government, our courts, our press, our schools, and our banking and entertainment industries? Jews have seized America. Face up to it. America has a Zionist-occupied government. Jews own or control the media, Hollywood, the U.S. money supply via the Federal Reserve European Jew bankers who set it up in 1913. Jews control the Ivy League universities via the directors and provosts. 
They've seized over 80% of senior cabinet positions in multiple recent administrations. Through Jew Larry Fink's BlackRock, they have board control interest in every corporation worth owning. They control academic book publishing. They set up or run most mischievous minority group organizations and spearhead BLM, NAACP, and SPLC. They also set up and fund the Antifa Urban Terror Group. Through the Jew George Soros, they have captured numerous state attorney general and prosecutor offices. The list of Jew mischief and power capture is too long to detail here. We are all in danger. This has to stop. Start by talking to your family, friends, and colleagues, and don't forget to name the Jews. How do you take nice Jewish boys and girls and turn them into monstrous killers of children when they reach 18? It takes a very long, thorough, and sophisticated education to do that. And that was my question, you know? How do you do that? How come, you know? And um, uh, we have an organization called Breaking the Silence where uh, soldiers confess what they did in the West Bank. And many of these confessions, in many of these confessions, the soldiers say, I was educated to believe that whatever I do to the Palestinians will save us from another Holocaust. And only when I aimed my rifle at a little girl, I realized that I was the evil one. And then I stopped. So this education is so entrenched. It's really, you know, Richard Dawkins um, hated religion and he called religion mind infection. But I think this is mind infection. Ideologies can be mind infected. And they are so infected with it that in um, the dehumanization, of Palestinians uh, especially, is so strong that it's very hard for people, especially young people, to get rid of that and to see these people as human beings. Yeah. Well, the US has criticized South Africa for bringing a genocide case against Israel before the UN's top court. An initial hearing at the International Court of Justice in The Hague is due to be held next week. We find this uh, submission meritless counterproductive and uh, completely without any basis in fact whatsoever. Let's speak to Moran Bashar, senior political analyst who joins us here on set. So, Moran, this is a day for John Kirby soundbites between you and me, isn't it? We were talking about a different one in the past hour. What do you make of what he says here, that the ICJ, this case that South Africans are bringing against Israel, is meritless? You know, there's nothing shocking about the United States rejecting a case of genocide against Israel, its ally, that it supported, financed, and armed its war in Gaza. Mm. Nothing surprising there. What is shocking is that uh, Mr. Kirby would simply put it in three words, meritless, counterproductive, and baseless. I think South Africa deserves better than that. I think the United States owes South Africa a bit more respect, a bit more diplomatic courtesy than that. To explain what is wrong with that. I personally, as an academic who read it twice, the 70 plus pages, I take it as a personal insult mm. to my intelligence that Mr. Kirby would just 
stand there on the podium of the White House and say, meritless, counterproductive, baseless, forget about it. Wait a minute. Can you, um, can you show me a single line in the 70-page document that is not anchored based in fact? Because I look to see what are the points of, and the weaknesses in this document. Mm. I could not see a single phrase there that was not sourced. And mostly on the basis of the United Nations documents and international human rights organizations and Israeli sources. There are, there are 10 pages uh, or 10 pages in that document that basically cite one Israeli official after another. One Israeli minister after another, one Israeli general after another, one Israeli parliamentarian after another, right? That show intent to harm the people in Gaza. That while this is called a war against Hamas, in every possible way it's a war against Gaza. So the idea that there's a war, no one's debating that. Mm. And no one's debating even the causes of this war. The document does not debate that. Does not debate whether Israel should be or should not be at war against Hamas. It's about the conduct mm. of this war. The disproportionality, the collective punishment, the war crimes and so on and so forth. Well, let's talk a little bit more about that because I'm just hearing that the death toll in Gaza has been updated. Now it stands at 22,438. It's just gone up by more than 100 and it's doing so every 24 hours. The death toll is extraordinary. So even for us non-academics, it's very hard to understand the US's position here. Absolutely. And uh, just judging from the bombings and the collective punishment and the intent behind it by Israeli officials, the civilians are clearly the target. Mm. The, civil in, the civil and the civic infrastructure is the target. Hamas is the collateral damage here. That's my interpretation. That's, I'm not talking about the documents, right? So for Mr. Kirby, who only recently was asked, right? I mean, an, another laugh. He was asked recently, is Israel committing war crimes in Gaza? He said, what are you asking me for? I'm not an international lawyer. He's asked yesterday, is it committing genocide in Gaza? Baseless, meritless counterproductive. We thought he's not an international lawyer, so how is he not mm -hmm. making a judgment of war crime, but making the bigger judgment on genocide? South Africa deserves better. The United States spokesperson owes South Africa a bit more respect and owes the tens of academics, experts on genocide, including Jewish experts on genocide, Israelis who have been saying that this is a case of genocide against Israel, right? So clearly, there's a certain, uh, you know, sense of denial uh, in Washington about this. So, what's what's counterproductive and baseless and meritless is the American response to the South African case. Okay, Marwan, thanks very much. I told you, Africa. I told you, Africa, the whole continent. These people don't even respect y'all. They look at y'all like y'all children. Y'all poke y'all chest out. They say y'all little boys. That's how people looking at y'all in the United States. And this whole, y'all whole continent is supposed to be the strong continent. But they look at you like weakling. 
And then you got these other peoples out there who America got by the balls. And I wonder why. I wonder why they look at you like y'all children. That y'all make threats. That you threats. Just like a mosquito bite. It don't mean nothing. South Africa's filed this 84-page lawsuit against Israel, accusing them of genocide. Israel says that this is blood libel. Does Washington agree? And where does this put Washington and Pretoria in trouble? this submission meritless, counterproductive, and uh, completely without any basis in fact whatsoever. Israel will tell you that uh, they're just fighting Hamas. We're just fighting Hamas in Gaza, but of course we're doing like drone strikes and tear gas attacks in the West Bank. We're continuing to rip up the infrastructure, the roads, bulldoze homes in the West Bank. We're making new settlements. And now they're not also only bombing Syria because we've seen that time and time again throughout the war and, you know, before it began on October 7th. But also today they extended an attack. Israel extended an attack to the heart of Lebanon. Today they did a massive drone strike on Beirut. Now this is the first time in about three, four years that they've done a bombing in Beirut. Everyone remembers the last time, but this was actually a really big deal. Now, there were suspected Hamas members that were killed in this attack. Let's take a look. Lebanese media is reporting that an Israeli drone strike hit a Hamas office in Beirut, killing four people, including a senior Hamas official. It confirms the Israeli attack on the Lebanese capital marks a significant escalation and could provoke a major war. Four people at the time of this writing were martyred, now I believe it's seven, and a number of others injured when the Hamas office was targeted in Beirut's southern suburbs. Now, the thing that you need to understand about this is the last thing that I think Israel really needs right now is Hezbollah to launch a second front from that end of the border on their troops, which would be in a, uh, uh, they'd be in a boiling, boiling point, surrounded on both sides by Hezbollah, quite a few men. Okay, this is the last thing they need right now, but they're playing with fire. They're walking around with a, you know, lit match in a giant keg of, you know, uh, gunpowder and explosives. This is like, the dumbest thing that they could do if they want to avoid a war with Hezbollah. They plan that next year, one year from now, they will merge the pandemic treaty and the 300 amendments. They will be synchronized with each other, synthesized with each other, and they will be essentially one document and they will pass next year. So they're planning to make sure they get all the kinks out and they're good to go because they plan to go all in and vote next year. But what the United States delegate, what our delegate said here this afternoon is that she is that the United States is all in and fully on board with these 300 amendments as currently written and anybody can access them at the World Health Organization website, but also they're all in on the global pandemic treaty. So the United States is for this. All the nations of the world who spoke today, they're all for it. There is one that's dissented. So unless we intervene, this is a done deal one year from today. And that's when we have an existential threat to our sovereignty, 
and we will lose it one year from today. But there is time for intervention. So as I mentioned to you yesterday, Steve, there aren't any members of the House of Representatives here. There isn't the United States uh, press corps. There is an absence. There's no member of the United States Senate. For heaven's sakes, you would think that they would call these documents in to the Senate and to the House to review them. They need to do that soberly. They've got to review all of this. Well, this played right into their hands. And they want me to do public service messages and everything about everybody taking the vaccine. And look, I guess in a certain way, I'm the father of the vaccine because I was the one that pushed it. You know, to get it done in less than nine months was a miracle. Fauci said it would take three to five years. He thought it was something that just wouldn't be that effective because it would take so long to get. We, I pushed the FDA like they have never been pushed before. I wouldn't exactly say they're, uh, they're in love with me. They have never, this is a very bureaucratic organization. I push them like they've never been pushed before, and that's why we have it. Uh, when they did the pause on Johnson & Johnson, I thought that was a, a very, very stupid thing to do. Would you recommend to our audience that they get the vaccine then? I would. I would recommend it, and I would recommend it to a lot of people that don't want to get it, and a lot of those people voted for me, frankly. Perhaps most important, its influence radiating to every part of life is the breakdown of the Negro family structure. For this, most of all, white America must accept responsibility. It flows from centuries of oppression and persecution of the Negro man. It flows from the long years of degra de degradation and discrimination which have attacked his dignity and assaulted his ability to produce for his family. This, too, is not pleasant to look upon, but it must be faced by those whose serious intent is to improve the life of all Americans. Only a minority, less than half, of all Negro children reach the age of 18, having lived all their lives with both of their parents. At this moment tonight, little less than two-thirds are at home with both of their parents. Probably a majority of all Negro children receive federally aided public assistance sometime during their childhood. The family is the cornerstone of our society. More than any other force, it shapes the attitude, the hopes, the ambitions, and the values of the child. And when the family collapses, it is the children that are usually damaged. When it happens on a massive scale, the entire community itself is crippled. So unless we work to strengthen the family, to create conditions under which most parents will stay together, 
all the rest, schools and playgrounds and public assistance and private concern will never be enough to cut completely the circle of despair and deprivation. Um, finally, number eight, Israel Affinity Organization activities inside executive state and federal agencies. Uh, we see a wave of political appointees who are becoming known for lobbying, advocating on behalf of Israel within federal agencies. Dennis Ross at Department of State, Neil Sher at the Justice Department, Josh Mandel who bought 80 million dollars of Israel bonds after changing state pension fund laws and lobbying to buy more for the Ohio State Treasury, neoconservatives at the Pentagon, which we are hoping Jim Loeb will cover later today, Stuart Levy and David S. Cohen at Treasury conducting economic warfare against Iran, unaccountable to public inquiries, but always seemingly meeting at the Washington Institute for Near East Policy to give private briefings. The FBI ADL liaison, which I go into great depth in my book, which has been ongoing since the 1950s, and various IRS commissioners whose scorecard on creating more intransparency for Israel affinity organizations or ignoring congressional requests to investigate various groups has been ongoing since the 1960s. And with this level of what I would call regulatory capture of some key agencies, you of course have abuse of tax exempt status. Now, before many organizations became Israel lobbying organizations, they were in fact holding clear social welfare purposes, immigrant aid, life insurance, cultural and educational endeavors, charitable hospitals. So this first wave that started in the mid 1800s tended to reduce government burden, which is the actual reason that organizations are given tax exempt status. But as we've moved on and since 1948, many of the organizations are not really offsetting any government burden, they're creating more government burden. Whether it's lobbying uh, for increased kinetic action against Israel's uh, enemies, which is what they, that's how they talk, uh, or the Israel Project, which functions as sort of a PR agency for the Israeli government and attempts to leverage that into being able to quash who appears on certain pro Palestine, un unless we understand the atrocity being imposed on Palestine and the right of people to defend themselves, the right of people to resist against an external outside force, a force that uh, uh, it becomes more extreme by the moment, and I'm talking about Israel, then we'll never understand how the world works. There's been a whole attempt to make Hamas the central issue of the reporting, and that's nonsense, as if Hamas is a, a peculiar demon. In fact, Ham Hamas and its military wing are part of a resistance, a resistance that was provoked by the Israelis. The real demon in this is, is Israel, but it's not simply Israel. I mean, this is as much uh, uh, a British and American war against Palestine as it is uh, an Israeli one.
Reports of Russia's human rights abuses and violations of international humanitarian law are mounting by the hour. Russian strikes are hitting schools, hospitals, residential buildings. They're destroying critical infrastructure, which provides millions of people across Ukraine with drinking water, gas to keep them from freezing to death, and electricity. The same goes for members who argue falsely that denouncing human rights abuses is politicizing the situation. It is failing to speak up about human rights abuses that politicizes the situation. See, fam, this is what you got to realize. The double talk that they talk. You just heard the double talk. He talking about Russia doing that to Ukraine, but they giving Israel the, the, the guns and the money to do that to Palestine. The earth is handed to the hands of the wicked. I'm about to get on their ass this time. I'm about to get on their wrong. The police can kill a man on camera and get qualified immunity. And I'm tired of beefing with my own kind. I'm trying to find some unity. Tired of the foolery. The system abusing me. I got to ride with the tool of me. This shit ain't cool to me. But I'll be damned if I let you niggas make a fool of me. So I keep two on me. Uh, I done came a long way from the block with breakdowns. Finally opened my eyes when I had my daughter. Got tired of them shakedowns. The way I survived the game is still pain in my heart. I got a lot to say now. And I'ma show my whole ass on these motherfuckers. I ain't about to play around. Whatever happened to freedom of speech? Cause they telling niggas what to say now. When guilty ass don't wanna hear the truth, try to act defended, shit pitiful. If I was you, I'd be miserable. This war we fighting is spiritual. In other words, I'm doing God's work when I turn thoughts into artwork. My words fly like darts work, specifically designed to hit the target. They don't even want to teach history the way it's meant to be because the shit is heartless. I might not change the world, but it's a chance I can spark the brain that's gonna get it started. Many die for me to walk like this, for me to talk like this. Rest in peace to Marcus. Got my eyes behind the scope, and I ain't taking number headshots. I got great aim, but my four five still came with a red dot. I got in this game, and I put this bitch in the headlock. Oof! I hope you brought your appetite because there is some major beef brewing over in the land of Izzy. And wait until you hear exactly what it was that set off some of the cabinet members. So War Cabinet Minister Benny Gantz on Friday warmed Prime Minister Benetti to choose between unity and playing politics as cracks widened and his emergency government cobbled together after the outbreak of the war with Hummus. Gantz's warning came as he blamed Netty for allowing right-wing ministers to repeatedly assail the, the Izzy Defense Force's chief of staff, Herzi Halevi, uh, during a fiery security cabinet meeting late Thursday. Reports in Hebrew media outlets with, quote, un unnamed participants said Nettie cut off the meeting after three hours with shouting erupting as some ministers came to Halevi's defense. He was not reported to have intervened to stop the assailing of the chief of staff. One minister told the comp broadcaster that they understood the uproar, quote, could be heard outside the room. Another said some defense officials left early in apparent protest of their treatment. The security cabinet meeting was intended to discuss planning for the administration of Gaza following the war with Hamas, but ended in a loud and angry dust-up between ministers and military brass after right-wing ministers cried foul over 
Halevi's plan for the army to probe its own operational mistakes that led to 07. Yes, you heard that correctly. The big blowout was triggered by the plan for the army to probe its own mistakes that led to 07. After the blow-up, Gantz said in a video statement that it was now up to the premier to correct the mistake, asserting that Nettie was culpable for the ugly scenes. With Gantz saying, quote, the cabinet was supposed to discuss strategic processes that will affect the continuation of the campaign and our security in the future. That didn't happen, and the PM is responsible for that. It is his responsibility to fix this and to choose between unity and security or politics. If what is important now is security and unity, then we need to hold the essential meeting on the continuation of the fighting and soon. Gantz conceded that ministers are supposed to ask questions and challenge the information provided to them by security chiefs at cabinet meetings. But, quote, what happened yesterday was a politically motivated attack in the middle of a war. I have participated in many cabinet meetings. Such contact has never occurred and must not occur. Gantz then defended Halevi's decision to appoint a panel to probe the military failures ahead of 07 when some 3,000 Hamas swept across the border, overrunning military bases and communities in southern Israel, killing some 1,200 people, most of them civilians, and taking another 240 hostages. The probe is meant to help the IDF identify shortcomings as it gears up for further fighting, including a possible expanded conflict with Hezbollah in Lebanon, and is not meant to touch on political failures in the run-up to 07. Very interesting he felt the need to point that out because clearly he's letting us know that's exactly what it is they're really afraid of. Saying, quote, it is good that the chief of staff, who knew how to take responsibility after the 07 disaster, is taking responsibility and establishing a team that will produce operational lessons for the continuation of the, the fighting. This is his duty, Gantz said. Adding to it that, quote, there is no doubt that after the war, a state commission of inquiry will be established to deal with everything that happened up to 07 at all levels. But its main focus should be the government's role and not on military operations. This is what the Israeli public demands, and above all, this is what it needs. Hardline lawmakers fumed over Halevi's report, reported decision to have a former chief of staff and defense minister, Shal Mofas, sit on the panel probing the IDF's pre-07 failure due to his involvement in the 2005 withdrawal from Gaza. But some of the criticism appeared motivated by fears that an IDF probe into its responsibility for 07 would also look into the government's role or at the very least would lead to pressure for lawmakers to conduct the same type of investigation. Nettie has insisted that such a probe can only take place after the war is over as critics claim he is buying time in order to remain in office. His Lucid party later hit back against and defended the conduct of the right-wing ministers. Of course they did. The duty of the political and security cabinet is to ask questions and receive answers. This is not politics, the Lucid statement said. Quote, in wartime when the public is united, Gantz is expected to act responsibly and stop looking for excuses to break his promises to remain in the unity government until the end of the war. Gantz's call for Nettie to choose between security and politics did indeed renew speculation that the unity, national unity chairman is considering leaving the government. Contrary to the Lucid statement, though, Gantz did not pledge to stick around until the end of the war, instead leaving his commitment vague. Just as I knew when to enter it, I'll know when to leave, he said when he was asked. Defense Minister Yov Gallant broke with his party, issuing a statement late Friday in which he gave his backing to Halevi. I spoke now with the Chief of Staff, Lieutenant General Herzi Halevi. I gave him my backing and asked him to pass it on to the commanders and soldiers because I trust them and support the IDF. The people of Izzy have a brave and measured Chief of Staff during a difficult war. IDF soldiers fight for all the people of Israel, and I appeal to all members of the public to stop irresponsibly using the IDF 
and its commanders for political gain. And if you answered my question earlier as to who the far right individual was they were referring to with Ben Gavir, you nailed it. You nailed it. He's got his tentacles in all the beef, both within Izzy and between Izzy and the U.S. So yeah, far-right National Security Minister Itmar Ben-Gavir also waded into the debate after Gantz's statement, accusing him of trying to silence debate. Ben-Gavir also accused Gantz of pushing to let the Palestinian Authority take over Gaza after the war. Opposition leader Yar Lapid, who had refused to join the unity government as long as the far-right parties remained, also attacked their behavior in the cabinet meeting, calling it, quote, a descent to unprecedented depths. In the midst of a war, ministers attack the chief of staff and the prime minister does nothing to oppose it, he said. Ben Gavir, a terror supporter who has never served in the military, attacks Shalom Movaz, the chief of staff during operational defensive wall and a hero of Israel. Other ministers try and humiliate IDF officers. This is not a cabinet. It is a national disaster, Lapid said. Can't really argue with that man's assessment, for sure. But yeah, there you go. We got some beef brewing, some cracks, some cracky cracks in the unity, the unity government. Because as it so turns out, there is apparently a large a group of individuals within their ranks who are absolutely opposed to any investigation, formal investigation or probe uh, into the events leading up to and on 07. A new Chinese military video is making the rounds this week as a warning to the West. Now, it shows China's massive amount of weapons that would utterly devastate a Western provocation. Watch this. So you want to fight that? No thank you. The United States would lose, and they would lose big time. It's happening. It's happening bigly. That's not me saying that, by the way. That is the United States Department of Defense saying that, which just published its brand new annual report called Military and the Security Developments Involving China. This China Power report shows that China has the weapons and forces to destroy us if we try to go to war with them. But the United States government thinks you're stupid, and they won't tell you what's really going on here. What's really going on here with China is their big secret. They think you are stupid. They think you won't notice what's really happening. It's not about military power at all. It's about economic power. And this week, we got our clearest signal yet that China is about to change everything with their gold buying and their gold hoarding. I think it's safe to call it hoarding. Why are they hiding it from us? Why is China hiding it from us? Why are they buying up so much gold? They are playing their cards very close to the vest. It represents a major shift in global power away from the United States dollar. Well, here we come. Way back on all you wait for your, your, your crew. Way back on. Doesn't pay you any money at all? Well, <laughs> cents a day, 40 cents a day. 35, I pick cotton, 35 cent, 100. Pick cotton, uh, chop cotton from sun to sun, two bits and 40 cent. My dad let us, 1900, let us chop cotton on a sad evening, start at 1 o'clock and, and, and chop the sun down for 20 cent. 
Sassy. There's one old time. Right ahead with Clump. See y'all, fam. This is a 92 year old man, right? Telling y'all when he was young, this is how the non pigmentation man and non pigmentation woman extorted them. They worked all day picking cotton, get 20, 20 cents, 40 cents. And you heard him say, you know, all they do is uh, with the money uh, is paying for clothes. And then non pigmentation people always act like ain't nothing wrong with it. That's the extortion, man. This is how they was getting rich off, you know, imagine you, bro. Imagine you, sis, go work somewhere, pick a cotton all day from sun, sun up to sundown and picked out about 100 pound, 200 pound worth of cotton, right? Because you know, if you pick up 100 pounds of cotton, you picked up a whole lot of cotton. And uh, all they give you is $2.40. Gotta think about it, man. It's not all about the slavery part of whipping the extortion part. It's all about how they extorted them, had them working all day, and then just give them what they want. Whereas if it was so much of a Christian value and Christianity is all out there and all that love was out there, why is other non-pigmentation people didn't do anything. You might have about one or two or three or four of good non-pigmentation out of a thousand. But I remember quite well how those polo children used to have to eat. They were fed in boxes and troughs under the house. They were fed cornmeal mushroom beans. When this was poured into their box, they would gather around it. The same as we see pigs, horses, and cattle gather around troughs today. But I remember quite well how those po Sorry about that. I had to re-upload this video because my last video was too noisy. So there's a weird story going on right now that the White House is saying that Lloyd Austin is in the hospital for unspecified reasons. Some people are saying it was a surgery. Others are saying that something happened to the man. But if you really dig into this, it gets really weird. Now, December 22nd is when he first went to the hospital. Then the White House said he was released and he went back on January 1st for intensive care. Now, the White House and the Pentagon is trying to say that he's been in intensive care and this is why he hasn't been seen. But the weird part is, why wasn't nobody told about it? Why was this kept from not only the public, which I understand that, but why was it kept from the White House? Why was it kept from Biden? And then we have the Russians who are making a claim that they killed him in Ukraine, that they shot a bunker in Ukraine where he was meeting with Zelensky's defense minister about new weapons to start their counteroffensive against Russia the new one and that Russia knew that he was there so they hit the bunker and he died so we have the United States saying he's alive just in the hospital in intensive care and then we have Russia saying well we killed him we knew where he was and we we bombed the bunker and he's dead anyways watch this video and tell me your thoughts in the comment section
Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin is facing growing scrutiny after it was revealed he failed to communicate his recent hospitalization. Yeah, a bizarre story here. No one at the White House or the National Security Council or even top Pentagon leaders, his own close colleagues, knew about the hospitalization until days, plural, later. Now lawmakers from both sides of the aisle are expressing concern. Our national correspondent Meg Hilling has the details. The fallout continues for U.S. Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin after he failed to disclose his hospitalization for three days last week to President Biden and other senior officials. Even Deputy Secretary of Defense Kathleen Hicks was left in the dark about Austin's hospitalization when she took over his duties. Austin's hospitalization was only made public by the Pentagon on Friday, January 5th, announcing in a statement that Austin had been admitted on January 1st to Walter Reed National Military Medical Center for complications following a recent elective medical procedure, adding that he was recovering and that Deputy Secretary of Defense Kathleen Hicks was prepared to act for and exercise the power of the Secretary if required. Pentagon Press Secretary Patrick Ryder says that Austin transferred certain operational responsibilities that required constant secure communications capabilities to Hicks on January 2nd. Yeah, you get the gist. So what do you guys think is going on? Y'all think Lloyd Austin's dead? Or do you guys think he's just going to come back and, you know, make a public announcement and say that he's fine? Situation in Mississippi, Jackson, Mississippi, to be exact. It's been revealed 215 bodies were buried in unmarked graves behind a state jail in Jackson, of course. A individual who was hit by uh, a police officer and his family thought he was simply missing, but he was dead and buried and no one notified them. Um, what we're finding, Isaiah, is that Mississippi is Mississippi. It's an ugly Mississippi. And this is sad because now we have six other individuals that has been put into this same grave. And if you look at the video from when we first went to that site, that site, buzzards were flying overhead. And we were trying to figure out why are the buzzards flying overhead? But it's because they're putting them in shadow graves. And the only thing that they're putting them in is a body bag without embalming the bodies. So the stench from the bodies are drawing buzzers there. It's so inhumane for anybody to do any one like that, Isaiah, is just horrible is what we can Many of these families were never called, were never notified. Many of them still think their family members or thought their family members were simply missing, but they were dead and buried and never got a call from any investigators, any law enforcement officials, authorities in Jackson, Mississippi. Any human being that's buried the way that they are burying these individuals, it says a lot about the people that's doing this um, criminal act. And the only thing that we're asking, because people always look at us when we're out fighting for civil rights of individuals, the only thing that we're asking in this case, we want you to do the right thing and give them a humane burial. Attorney Dennis Week, you all are asking for a federal investigation that the feds come in and take a look at this and see exactly what's going on because there's some questions as to Dexter Wade's death when he was hit by the police officer. Whatever happened with the officer in this case and why wasn't his family ever notified that he was dead and not just a missing person? Very, very troubling for us to, for you to know this family already and for you to do something like this, this was adding insult to already injury that you had done to this family. See, I fam, I keep telling y'all, man. Y'all don't even see it because y'all got y'all blinders on. 
and the only thing on your mind is getting that dollar. If they can only keep y'all focused on getting that dollar, they can only continue, continue doing this. Now, make it, make it, if I'm right, I'm right. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. If I'm reaching, I'm reaching. So, you can, you gonna, you gonna have to, when I say this, those are three categories you can choose from. The Bible says that Esau, the non-pigmentation man and the non-pigmentation woman have a perpetual hate. And a perpetual hate is something forever, ever, ever. So all through these years, all through these sins, and then you just hear this. Why do y'all want to be amongst people that have a perpetual hate against you? And I was um flicking the channels, y'all. You know, and I came up to some of these these religious channels. So so happily I turned the channel. And I got in touch with Swagner. Y'all know Jimmy Swagner, the con man in the 70s, 80s. Now he got his son doing his thing or whatever. So I'm looking at that, listening to them sing the difference between white people, non-pigmentation woman, and non-pigmentation man sing, how they singing in church. You know, I'm just looking, you know, just listen to the vibe. See, can I feel that as I feel when I'm in a black church? That's, that's what I was trying to see. I don't know why. It just came up. And uh, I didn't feel anything. And I noticed it was a whole bunch of Caucasian people and one black woman. I don't know how, what the mindset is that you that you actually don't see no color. Oh, a couple of miles, I'm married to a Caucasian, and this is the church he go to. You know. We always want to get amongst them and get a and get mad when somebody speak real about it. I don't know why. We won't even get it. We don't want to get it cuz when we get it, that means we we know it and we're going to be accountable for it. Now, a lot of y'all don't like to be accountable for responsibility. You know, all we were, see, there's a lot of things that we wasn't taught. And I think it started, I mean, stopped around the 70s. About brotherhood, 
You know what I'm saying? At the 70s, it's real like brotherhood, black and proud and all that. Then you dwarfed in the 70s, 80s. That, that when the, the, the brotherhood, gonna get this, and all this other corrupted stuff was going on. Until we right here where we at. And, and when you watch old movies in the 60s, the 60s, the 60 movies, you already see in the movies who was the enemy. It was always the Caucasian man trying to do something to the black man or did something to the black man. Go check it out. And all through this life, we weren't taught how to love each other, love ourselves, respect each other, the understanding of loyalty. You know, all that, all that other stuff is slowly drifting out of our mindset and our community. Why? Why? Because it's ordained. It was constructed to be that way. So if we got people that constructively putting putting fire every time they move forward, we move them backward. They they going forward with fire, we move them backward because we don't want to get burned or we submitting to it. And this is why I don't understand. And maybe it's right or I'm fishing. If we got so much smart, economical, black men, and I see him on TV and all that, and see him all here on the web, on, on the internet and all this other stuff. If y'all so much into nations and families, And, and I know I know y'all smarter than me. I, I ain't the dumbest man in the world. And I damn sure enough to know I ain't the smartest man. I might be the righteous man, though. I'm shooting for that. <laughs> um, I don't understand. All this right here has been put on our plates. And we forced to eat it. And we taking it. And we can't. And y'all so smart. Why haven't y'all just make, you can make your own money. Start your own money. You know what I'm saying? If y'all, if y'all, if, if black people had their own money, spend their own money on things, then we good. Because everybody else trying to be like us anyway. So we had our own money. Oh, if you want these, you got, you, you want me to do this? You gotta, you gotta. You gotta do this, you know what I'm saying? You gotta pay me in this. Or contribute to what I'm doing in this. You ain't got to, and but y'all rolling with their money, and y'all they so smart, you can't make your own money and just start recycling, regenerating, having our own banks. We can't make our own community. Get our own land. Because if we could, y'all, 
all these see the when y'all fail to realize when when athletes out here doing their thing in high school and these guys out here with the big bucks paying them to fit the big bucks to play that game you already know they gonna try to see what type of mindset they on if they on some revolution stuff either they gotta get rid of it or they got to or 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 denounce it or not get not get in the game not not even be on that, that, that type of lead and then they get and then they get so much brainwashed it's all about the team it's all about the team it's all about the team but and 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 that's all in their mind what is your finance getting together as brotherhood and build a community for for your nation they do a lot of see this is the mindset that we we in but we shouldn't be in that's how they know how to get y'all well you're gonna yeah you're gonna get in here go go to college get your free scholarship to play ball giving them the billion dollars and then you make your way to the NFL and take your parents out of poverty. And then it's just a recycle. Because all the money they giving you, you giving it back to them. Then they taking more than what you got and you still going to end up with nothing. You just you just you just came regular, but you got a little more on to the regular. But you just regular. A man with money got he a man with money and just spend money all his life because money is his confidence. Take away his money, you take away his confidence. A man who plays sports and he bad at it, he good at it. Take away his, take when he retire. Where's his mindset at? And a regular man that never had are always in the grind. take his confidence away it will never leave him. his confidence gonna be there because and and, and 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 the athletes out there they retire all they can do is regurgitate sports they can't do nothing to, to to show that what they can do to help build the community of all this money that they got to around their brotherhood making all this money. Hey, bro, we need to pitch in and try to do something for our community, for our nation, man. Go on, da-da-da, da-da. But y'all go out here and spend y'all money on all that other unnecessary. Then 50 years later, ain't nothing.
don't really mean nothing. Mike Tyson had all them belts and all them things. He looked at him and said, all that don't mean nothing. See? We always wanna, we always wanna cling on stuff that really doesn't mean anything. Our mindset got to be changed. The way we think and see got to be changed. The way we walk down this road got to be changed. And the way we see self got to be changed. But who going to change it? I studied the Bible so I know it well. Yeah, can't let nobody make myself a cell. Can't even lie, yeah, I still struggle, but I know myself. I fear God, I told him I don't want to go to hell. Pray for the sermon, I'll be asking what's the gift in me. Must be this music, cause the world think I'm so sick with it. I switch my style, some people love it, some trying to get with it. I think what matters most is I'm living out what's God written. I make mistakes, but I embrace them, I'm still human. I'm still human. I escape from that place that made me feel ruined. So every day I still chase what I think I'm losing. And pray to God in the end that I don't look stupid. Why do I feel I'm unable, double-minded, I'm unstable? Wanna put all me on the table so God can make me an angel. Was living life like Cain, cause I was jealous of Abel. God told me, look up, child, I just want to save you. I need to hear your voice in life so I could get through this. For you, I shoot for the stars every time and I don't miss. Every time I drop a hit, I still don't feel the bliss. And deep down, I know it's only because I'm still living in sin. You transform my pen, they laughed at me, now I'm laughing with them. Transform my gifts so now I can't even rap with them. I need to use my talents because the devil be distracting them.